0: Come with me to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to spend the next four weeks in the first chapter of Colossians, talking about what it means for Jesus to be here, why he came, was born, and what that, how that applies to us. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to skip to the end of the chapter and read the last few verses of the chapter. Some background, Colossians. So if you've been here the past three weeks, we talked through the book of Philemon. Colossian, Philemon lived in the same city. So Colossians was written to the people of this town of Colosse, which is in Turkey. So if you were in Colossae, you were called a Colossian. Philemon was a Colossian. So the letter to Philemon and the letter, this letter we're reading here, were sent at the same time to the same church, two different subjects, but same group of people. So what we've learned in Philemon, Paul's in prison. He's got a group of people around him and he's writing in chains to another church that he's trying to help. So in verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it also is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. If you look over in verse 26 or verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. The first part of the traditional Christmas story is the angels showing up. Remember, we saying today, Hark, the herald angels sing. We don't say hark anymore, but it means, hey, pay attention. I've got something to tell you. And then what they sing? Joy to the world. So it's a joyous proclamation, which is another way of translating the word translated here as Gospel. So, we say gospel, but you could say joyous proclamation, happy news, good announcement. So, the Christmas story is the story of the gospel, the good news proclaimed. It's not just the facts, but it's the proclamation of those facts. So, heart, the herald angels sing, listen to the gospel. So, that's what we're talking about here. So, the question is what is the gospel? What is this proclamation? We know it's good, right? It's a good news. It's a joyous proclamation. Joy to the world. Why? What is the gospel? If it's so good that it must be proclaimed, what is it? So we're going to look at, in this passage, three things. The gospel produces, the gospel is universal, and the gospel is Christ in us gospel produces, it's universal, and it's Christ in us. it help us understand what this news is, what this proclamation is. Now, the whole point of Jesus coming into the world was to change it, right? There was a problem for thousands of years, so Jesus was born to fix the problem which means the whole point of Christmas, the whole point of Advent, the whole point of the arrival is to produce a change, right? It wasn't a visit. It wasn't, you ever window shopping? You just walk past and look at stuff? No. Jesus came to do something. So that means that whatever this message is, it needs to produce a change. There needs to be some results that are different than before. Otherwise, it's not good news. It's just news, good news because it produces a change. Look what he says here in verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Thanks for what? You give thanks for something that has happened to you or that you've seen change, something that you, you said, wow, I'm thankful that happened. What is it that he was thankful for? Since we heard, see, so here's, a, here's a bit of good news that they got. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope, Notice that? Faith, love, hope. That theme, faith, love, hope, is repeated all through Paul's writings, all through the Bible. It's the core of Christianity. It's the core of the gospel. Faith in Christ, love for all the saints, your hope because of the hope. So there were results after they'd heard the gospel. They had faith. They had love. They had hope. That's what people are looking for, isn't it? Something to believe in something to share, some kind of bond, and something to look forward to. If you can give someone those three things, they can handle anything else in the world. They have something to believe in, some people to share that with who are bonded together and know that something coming is better. And that's what they have here. Faith, love, hope. Lightfoot says, faith rests on the past, love works in the present, and hope looks to the future. The gospel came to the Colossians and Paul says, we've seen the change. We give thanks to God that the gospel has changed you. It's produced these things, which tells us that a gospel that doesn't change you is not a gospel. It's not good news. Good news is good because you can give thanks for the results. So he says here, I thank God that I've seen the visible signs of the gospel. Because that's what the gospel does. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. There it is, the gospel. Which has come to you. Knows the word come to you? The advent, the arrival of the gospel. The Christian faith is built on this principle that something has to come to you. The whole point of Christmas is that you didn't go look for it. It came to you. Arrival, visit. That's Christianity. You are lost. Someone comes and finds you. The Colossians were lost in the gospel which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit. What is bringing forth fruit? This is key to being a Christian. What is bringing forth good fruit? The gospel is. The news, the message... Is actually producing the change. It comes to you and it changes you. So there's two kinds of people in this audience right now. There are those who have not received, the gospel has not come to you. It's somebody else's news. It's either you've never heard it or you haven't received it. So what happens here is the gospel came to them and said, You are lost, you are hopeless. You have no faith. You have nothing you can trust. You have nobody that will love you. You have no hope for the future. But the good news is, if you trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, did come into this world, and died for you, if you trust in that only, that good news, then you are saved. From what? From everything bad. Whatever whatever you want in the bad column, you're saved from it. Sin, death, judgment, guilt, fear, God's punishment, hell, whatever it is. So it comes to you and it saves you, the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Now, if you haven't received that, you have no good news. All of your news is fleeting. It's like, wow, I got a new job. That's, that'll be gone. Wow, I feel great today. That'll be gone. Man, my kids really made me happy. That'll be gone. Whatever your good news is will be gone. But if, you, if the gospel has come to you, that won't leave. That changes you. It doesn't just change your surroundings. It changes you. So if you haven't received the gospel, you have no hope. You have nothing to hold on to. So I don't know who's a believer, who's not. But if you're not a believer, right now the gospel is coming to you. It's coming to you right now. It's God calling you, be reconciled through the work of Christ. And if you receive that, it will change you. It will change you inside and it will change your standing with God. That's what Christmas is about, the arrival of something that will change you. But it doesn't stop there. And this is what Christians need to hear. I heard someone say this week, every Christian thinks the gospel is just to get rid of your sins. And until someone comes and beats it into their head, they never realize that the gospel is for the rest of your life. And I thought, yep, that's me. Spent a lot of years thinking, I'm saved, got the gospel out of the way, what's next? But look what the Bible says The gospel which has come to you, as it has it also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. It comes to you, it changes you, and then it continues to bring forth fruit. What fruit? joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill, reconciliation, the fruit, we call the fruit of the spirit, joy, love, peace, self-control. Where do those fruits come from? Do they come from you working at them? That's not what the Bible says. The gospel is bringing forth fruit. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to see results in your Christian life, the gospel will produce them or they won't be produced. If you don't hear, listen, believe the gospel, you will not have fruit. But if you do believe the gospel, you will have fruit. The power of the gospel actually produces the fruit. That's why we talk about the gospel all the time. It's not just about what the Bible says, sort of, this was written to the Colossians, okay, that's interesting. This was written by Paul, well, that's interesting. It's more than just the facts, it's the story. The story that is believed produces fruit. If you think you know the gospel, you don't. You know part of it. And you're going to spend the rest of eternity learning the rest of it. If you are not spending time in the gospel, you're not growing. You're not seeing fruit. Do you struggle with anger? The gospel has not worked in your life yet. Are you afraid? You don't have good news. Do you have anxiety, you don't have joyous proclamations. You see, the suffering inside of us that really cripples us is opposite of the gospel. You want to get rid of the anger, the fear, the guilt, the shame, the aggression, whatever it is, it's the gospel that produces the fruit. So what should we focus our lives on? That gospel that actually changes. Not on things that don't change. You see, that's what Paul says at the end of this chapter. He says, him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Should you remove negative people out of your life? Asking a self-help person, someone who is so, a sort of motivational speaker, uh, people who are trying to be your best self, and help you grow. Here's what they're going to say. Here's what Joel Olstein says. You cannot hang out with negative people and expect to live a positive life. Makes sense. Here's what Brian Tracy, he's a popular self-help speaker. Avoid negative people at all costs. They are the greatest destroyers of self-confidence and self-esteem. Sounds good, doesn't it? Here's the problem. It's not the gospel. You see, what it's saying is people change you. People affect what's inside of you. That the people around you have the power to change you on the inside. You ever feel like that's true? That means that the people around you are stronger than what's inside of you. But what Paul is saying here is that if you believe and live in the gospel, what's inside of you is stronger than the people outside of you. This is not a self-help gospel. This is a gospel that works, that powers you, that energizes you. It says, to this end I also labor. That's not a nice word. It's from a Greek word from which we get the word agony. It's that hard work. Negative people are hard work, aren't they? Man, they're hard work, especially if you are also a negative person. Then you're dealing with two negative people. It's hard work. It's labor. It's striving. It, says it so to this side, also labor, striving according to his working. Now, working there means energy. So where do we get energy from? According to his energy, which works in me. How does Paul manage to put up? I mean, if you read some of Paul's letters? He's dealing with some bad people, some negative people. How does he deal with it? Does he cut them out? Does he do what Joe Osteen says, you can't hang out with negative people? Does he do what the positive uh, thinker says? Avoid negative people at all costs. They are the greatest destroyers of self-confidence and self-esteem. True, unless you've got something inside of you that's more powerful than negative people. That's what the gospel offers you. The energy. Not nice thoughts, but actual working, Christ working inside of you that helps you put up with those outside of you. That's why the Christian faith has always reached out to the poor, to the marginalized, to the oppressed, because we have the internal strength to bear up under their problems. And anytime a church fails to reach out, it's because they don't understand the gospel. When you start cutting negative people out of your life, it's because you don't fully understand the gospel. Because a true gospel-filled life has the energy of God That overpowers any outside force. If negative people change you, they are more powerful than God to you. They have the ability to change your insides. In New York, they have Fashion Week. It's a big deal, especially in New York. And in Fashion Week, they're all out in the streets and they're at these conferences. And you'll see a lot of people around there who are not fashion stars, they're not models. They're not the beautiful people, but they believe that if they can be close enough in proximity to the beautiful and the powerful, some of that will bleed off on them. If I can just be friends with a powerful person, if I can be friends with a supermodel, then something will come back on me. And one author says, it results in a nagging sense of soullessness. I don't have anything inside of me. But if I can get near someone who does, maybe it'll rub off on me. I don't have strength in me, so I'll get around strong people, and they'll give me the strength. It's another way of making idols out of people. Yeah. Amen. Sometimes negative people are negative idols, and they crush you. Sometimes good, positive people are positive idols, and they lift you up. But it's all about those people. It's not about you. There's an emptiness inside of us that needs people to fill it. We need approval. Have you ever watched The Office? Michael Scott, the manager, he says something, he goes, do I want people to like me? No. Do I have to have people like me? No. Do I need people to like me? Yes. In other words, he didn't understand that he was empty inside and he needed people to fill him. What Paul is saying is that the gospel, Christ in us, I also labor, striving, putting out, according to his energy, which works in me mightily. Jesus coming into our life fills us from the inside out, which helps us bear up under the weight of negative people. So what does a Christian do? We don't cut negative people out. We build up ourselves in Christ and then help them. That's something the world does not have. When Jesus says they'll know you by your love one for another, what do they know? They'll say, man, you don't cut negative people out of your life. You don't follow self-help advice. You don't do things like you're supposed to, but yet you still survive. You're not crushed by it. Why? I can't see anything that would be different between you and me. What's the difference? Christ in us. The gospel came to us, produces fruit. That's the difference. The gospel produces. Nothing else produces It's the gospel or it's nothing. That's the exclusivity of of the Christian religion. It's It's the gospel or it's nothing. That's a high bar, isn't it? You see, it says gospel is supposed to produce. So we come to our second point, the gospel is universal. Now, I was thinking about this last night. I was studying and I said, okay, the gospel produces fruit. And then I said, I don't see the results of that. I was sitting there thinking, like, I don't, I don't know if I see that. I don't know if I believe that. And I look at my own life I'm like, I don't know if the gospel is producing fruit. Do you ever wonder? I hear the gospel all the time, I don't see the results. Does it really work? And so I said to myself, I'm not sure I believe what I'm about to preach. And in fact, I didn't just say I don't think. I said, I don't believe it because I don't see the results. If it produces fruit, where's the fruit? And then I had a revelation. I don't believe in the Holy Spirit speaking to people directly, but it was about as close as it came. I said, or someone said to me, either I said to myself or the Holy Spirit prompted me, does the Bible say it produces fruit? Then it does. Does the Bible say it's true? Then it is. And it was, it was profound. Because it doesn't say here, you'll know it when it happens. It just says it happens. Look what the Bible says. You heard the, the hope which laid up in verse 5, which you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The word of truth, something that can be relied on. Not my experiences, not my perception of what's happening, but the word. In verse 6, at the end, he says, and you knew the grace of God in truth. In verse 25, it says, of which I became a minister to fulfill the word of God. And in verse 27, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory. How do I know that this is going to produce fruit? It's not because I've seen it. I'm not sure I have. It's because the Bible says it does. And you need to ask yourself right now, who do you trust? Yourself or God? Look, the first verse of this passage, Paul, who's telling us these things, why should we believe him? Because my experience tells me something different. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not Paul the wise. Not Paul the experience. Paul who was sent, By Christ, personally, face-to-face, Christ said to Paul, go tell them this. That's why it's true. The gospel produces fruit. This is trustworthy because of its source. And you have to ask yourself, and we have to ask ourselves, will we continue to believe and depend on the gospel when we don't see results? Nothing else in this life tells you that. And the only thing we can trust is that these words are true. That takes a lot of faith. But that's what Christianity is. Believing that it's true. Trust the word of God by the apostle that the gospel is enough. Now, if the gospel is the only thing that can change you, it better work for everybody. Else, We've got nothing else to give them. But look what it says: "Which has come to you as it has also in all the world." Where'd the gospel go? The whole world. One way to Christ, but that way is open to everybody. When we go into another town, another city, another country, when we support missionaries, what did they? What's the one thing they need? Ability, talent, cultural awareness? No, the gospel because that's the only thing that works for everybody. The music will never make everybody happy. The style will never make everybody happy. No one thing will work for everybody except the gospel. There's only one way to heaven, but the way is open. One gospel for all people, for the whole world, not one group. Lightfoot says the true gospel is the same everywhere. The false gospels address themselves to limited circles. The true gospel proclaims itself boldly throughout the world. Heresies are at best ethnic. Truth is essentially universal. You know why we strive for diversity? Why we're trying to be a multicultural church? So that we don't buy into some sort of false gospel that says it's only for a certain kind of people. It's for people like me. I know it works for me so it must be for people like me. But it's not. It's for everybody. It's not the white man's religion. I know the white man brought it to America, but it's not the white man's religion. It's not the Westerner's religion. I know the Western world brought it to America, but it's bigger than that. It's not for any one group of people. The gospel is universal because it's universally true and universally effective. He, Paul goes on. It's not just for every group of people. Look at the uh, verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man, and that's, a, that's the way Greek talks, everyone, warning every man and teaching every man and all wisdom that we may present every man perfect. Why does he say it three times? Because he wants you to know that you can get the gospel. Not just this church, but you individually can understand the gospel. Now, you think you're not smart enough or you don't have enough time or you don't have the ability, or the training, or the background, or anything else that you put in the way, the Bible says it's for everyone. Every single individual has the same opportunity to hear and believe the gospel. There's no limits here. Why do we preach the gospel? What else can I give you that works on every single person? Think about that. Marketing is all about targeting. It's all about targeting a group and appealing to that group. The gospel says it appeals to every group. There are no levels in the Christian church. Everyone comes to the same place, listens to the same sermon, because it all comes from the same Bible, and believes in the same gospel. That's not to be found anywhere else. And so for the rest of our lives, we preach and we teach with all wisdom for everyone, because everyone has the potential and the ability to believe and know the gospel. See, it was joy to the world, not joy to the Jews. It was God and man reconciled, not God and the Jews reconciled. It's God and everybody. That's the divide, God on one side and everybody on the other side. And the gospel brings those two together. So you only have two conversations in one sense. You're either talking to God or you're talking to everybody. There's a way to talk to God and there's a way to talk to everybody else. That applies to everybody else. It's the gospel. It's this message of what Christ has done. But it's not just a message. It produces, it's universal. But look what he calls it. So in verse five, he says, because of the hope, which is laid up for you in heaven, the word of truth, the gospel. So hope and gospel are the same. The grace of God is another synonym Then look in verse uh, 27, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, another word for the gospel, mystery, which is hope, gospel, mystery, grace, which is Christ in you. That's the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we preach not just the facts, we preach a person, him we preach. All these synonyms point to one person. If you think Christianity is about doing, if Christianity is about a way to live, Christianity is about a philosophy of giving or forgiveness, you don't that's not the gospel. We don't preach the way to Christ. We don't preach the way to heaven. We don't preach the way to righteousness. We preach Christ we preach Him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is our righteousness. If we're not preaching Christ, we're not preaching the gospel. You see, facts change or or become outdated. They're static. They're just there. We need someone who is relationship-oriented, a personal, someone who can move with us, who can relate to us, who can change and and meet us where we are. We need a person. We don't need a philosophy. We don't need a manual. We need a person. The good news is not just Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God in power and glory, is not necessarily good news for you. He is who he is. But that doesn't change us. God's existence doesn't change us. There has to be something that connects us with that person. You see, that's why the gospel is not just Christ. It's Christ in us. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is great and perfect and holy, and you can have a relationship. The official word is union with Christ. If Christ is all of these great things then we need to be united with him. How do we bridge that gap? The good news is that Christ unites with us, Christ in us. Do you view Christ as sort of waiting for you? You don't get the gospel. Do you view Christ as watching you? That's not it either. Christ sort of telling you, come on, come over here, do the right thing, be a good person, come talk to me that's not the gospel. That's just another way. The gospel is Christ is in you. There's no going to Christ. Once you're in the gospel, you're there. You're always with Christ. Perfect union, a personal guarantee that everything's going to be okay. What is our hope? Is it that heaven's going to be great? I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I do know wherever Jesus is, I'll be there. And since Jesus creates everything, I'm pretty sure where he lives is going to be pretty nice. So if I can just manage to be wherever he is, I'll be fine. That's the gospel, the union with Christ, a personal righteousness that takes all of our work out of it. Imagine two football teams. One football team won the Super Bowl last year, number one team in America. The other one was last. They were like, I don't know, like two and 14 or whatever the season runs. But at the end of the season, the bottom team managed to make it to the Super Bowl. It was a miracle. They managed to work together, and they got there. So now the best team and the worst team are in the Super Bowl. What's the best team have to do? They have to win. If they don't win, they're nothing. But the worst team, they've made it. The coach has already won Coach of the Year. The quarterback's already got MVP. They've already been hailed as the greatest comeback ever. Whether they win or lose a Super Bowl, they've made it. That's what the gospel tells you. You've already made it. Now play. You don't need to prove yourself. Christ in you has already proved himself. Now you can live out in peace. He is our righteousness. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Are you trying to be a good person? You don't need to. Christ became that for us. Are you trying to become wise and smart and educated? God already did it. If Christ is in you, if the gospel is living and growing and dwelling in you, the personal truth that Christ did not just come into this world, he came to live with us every single one of us who accepts him. That's the friendship that Christ offers. This is from Chrysostom, who preached from the same passage 1,700 years ago. Guess what he preached? Same thing. Same gospel. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He's talking about friendship, this union. How do you make friends? Where do your friends come from? A lot of times they're just people you spend time with. You do the same things. Sometimes they're work friends. Sometimes they're family friends. Sometimes you marry into it. These are the relationships you have. He says that's nothing compared to what Christ is offering us. He said, for nothing is so strong as the bond of the Spirit. For he who became a friend from receiving benefits will, should those be discontinued, become an enemy. He whom habitual association becomes inseparable will, when the habit is broken, let his friendship become extinct. A wife or husband, should a clash have taken place, will leave her husband and withdraw affection. The son, when he sees his father living to a great age, is dissatisfied. Every relationship that you built on this earth has a weakness in it that will break the relationship. But in the case of spiritual love, that union with Christ, seeing it is not composed of those things, Neither time, nor length of journey, nor ill usage, nor being evil spoken of, nor anger, nor insult, nor any other thing has any power of dissolving them. Because it didn't come from earth, it can't be broken by things on earth. The gospel tells you that Christ has come from heaven and brought with him a friendship, a union that nothing on earth can change, and offers it to us. If You accept Christ, You expect you uh, receive a heavenly, spiritual bond that will change you from the inside, and nothing on the outside can affect it. Is the world getting you down? Look to Christ. Is the bad news getting to you? The bad people getting to you? Look to Christ. Let's pray.